It's a privilege to welcome Keith Weaver as our speaker this morning. For the past 13 years, Keith has been serving as moderator of Lancaster Conference, and I, over the years, have very much enjoyed the privilege of working with him in that capacity and traveling with him, and uh, some years ago, introducing him to some spots in Africa that were also special to me. His wife, Joanne, is with him. They're members of the Blainsport Mennonite Church, and they're the parents of five children and grandparents of five grandchildren. So, Keith, God bless you as you share with us this morning. It's a privilege to have you. Well, thank you, Ernie, and greetings in the name of Christ to each of you. It's an it's honor and a joy for Joanne and me to be with you here this morning and to worship with you. I just want to say, first of all, um, very impressed with your singing. One of the blessings I have these days in my role as moderator is to get around to churches all across Lancaster Conference. And one of the things that I've been noticing is that congregational singing is ramping down. Um, so I had to think when I was a child attending Hesmanite Church, people would visit our church and they would say, wow, your singing is good. And I remember people giving credit to Harvey Eberly because when he would lead, he would lead. So Barb, keep it up. This congregation is singing well, and I suppose you get the credit for leading. Um, and, and sincerely, uh, I applaud you for your, 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 the, the spirit of worship I felt this morning uh, in your time. I also am uh, pleased with the journey that you've been on in your pastoral search and um, could appreciate uh, the reflections on the rocks and what they mean and God's faithfulness in leading you as a congregation to find a new pastor. I have special personal interest in this because uh, my son Joel and his wife Abby, uh, who love the Lord and um, uh, are committed to serving the Lord uh, with their lives, uh, lost confidence in the established church. And then after leaving Fuller, where my son got his master's, they struggled to find a place, pretty much had given up on church. And then they landed in Chicago for an internship that uh, my daughter-in-law, Abby, had. And they discovered that there's a little Mennonite church not far down the road, Lombard Mennonite Church. So they went. And they fell in love with church. And fell in love with Todd. And so uh, when I saw Todd here at the conference office, when he was in for his interview with the Credentialing Commission, I said, Todd, thank you. <laughs> and he said, What? And um, so uh, I have this personal appreciation for the pastor that I believe you're going to love and uh, who you can look forward to coming in the days ahead. Well, I, I asked, actually, uh, my executive assistant asked if I could come this morning, um, and I was given a gracious uh, welcome to bring just a brief word. I asked for three minutes, <laughs> basically to bring a word that I'm embarrassed I have not brought to this congregation years ago. And it's a very simple word, thank you. Thank you for your generous, ongoing financial support of Lancaster Mennonite Conference. This congregation has been very faithful in their consistent financial support of the conference. And my hope is that um, you can continue this sense that you're part of a larger whole uh, you're part of a very important part of a fellowship of congregations scattered from New York City, Wa uh, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, a, a bunch of congregations in the 
Lancaster area, Harrisburg, North Penn, 170 congregations that we call Lancaster Mennonite Conference. And you'll hear uh, this morning, uh, as I share, some of my sense of what God is doing across Lancaster Conference, and it's exciting. And it's possible because of congregations like East Chester Street Mennonite Church. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for your generous, consistent financial support for Lancaster Conference. Now, when I was scheduled to come, I got an email from Titus saying, Hey, could you preach? I said, Yes! <laughs> I'd be delighted to share this morning because uh, there, there is something happening in Lancaster Conference these days. And um, you see here in the PowerPoint uh, this 10-year vision. Now, we're three years into this 10-year vision, but this 10-year vision that we've come to call 2020 vision, we see new life. And I know if uh, folks in the business world here this morning say, come on, Keith, be serious. You can't be planning out 10 years. And that's true. In the business world, you can only plan out three years or 18 months. I mean, we live in a time of continuous change, and things are changing so fast you can hardly plan out three years. Who's crazy planning 10 years out? I'm a slow learner. But one thing I've learned, that in the life of the church, not much changes in a year. Certainly not much changes in a, in a week. <laughs> Not much change in a year, but I've been amazed at the scope of change that can occur in a 10-year period. And let me just illustrate before we move on here. Uh, in the year 2000, I visited districts all across Lancaster Conference. We asked a series of questions in an attempt to clarify what, what vision God had for our fellowship of congregations. And one of the things, we heard a lot of good feedback from pastors, and that got distilled into 20, uh, Vision 2010, uh, New Revitalized Multiplying Congregations. But one of the things that I heard, in addition to a lot of other good things, was a lament from pastors who said, and I heard this all across Lancaster Conference, that while we have a robust mission expression through EMM and are impacting, we are together are impacting places all around the world, and as a result of that, mission initiative, we have these fraternal relationships with folks in East Africa and Indonesia and Vietnam and all over the world. We have these wonderful fraternal relationships with churches that have grown up through mission initiatives of East, East Chester United Church and its sister congregations and Lancaster Conference. Yet pastors were lamenting that while we have this wonderful global witness, we're doing very little across the street. That many of our congregations have no relevant connection with the neighborhoods in which they're located. That's a lament that I heard in the year 2000. Well, that led to uh, Vision 2010 and, and, and some of the missional church initiatives that Mennonite Church USA had been embracing and that, that we began to embrace more fully. And so for the last 13 years, we've been preaching this missional church vision that, that we are a people sent by God into the mission of God. And so in uh, 2009, beginning of 2010, I visited districts again all across Lancaster Conference. And one of the things that struck me was the consistency with which I heard congregations talking about ways they're connecting with their neighborhoods. To the point where I have trouble finding a congregation in Lancaster Conference that at least is not talking about how to connect with its neighborhoods. And I know people, I know you here at East Chester Mennonite Church have all kinds of ways you're connecting with the neighborhood. But my point is that in 10 years' time, I saw significant change in the life of, uh, of our congregations from a secluded, sort of irrelevant, uh, no relevant connection to the neighborhood to very significant ways to try to connect with our neighborhood. So I'm hopeful. I've learned not to underestimate 
the amount of change that can occur in 10 years. And I'm hopeful about what's happening even today. And so let's, let's take a look at this uh, 2020 vision, We See New Life. And I'd like us to go to um, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Al, thank you for that excellent reading. Um, this text became a focus point for our work in 2020 vision. Uh, the Bishop Board formed this little vision writing team. I'm trying to think of anyone from East Chester Street was on that, on that vision writing team. But we gathered this group together, and, and the, the assignment was given to this group just to think in terms of big picture, you know, big kingdom vision. And for some reason, that group ended up in this text in Revelation. And every time we meet, we'd, we'd spend time in this text, and we'd read through all the rich imagery of this text uh, that Al just read, this new heaven and new, new earth, this, um, this picture of a throne and the lamb and the light and the honor of the nations and the book of life and the river, the river of the water of life and the tree and the, and the fruit and the leaves for the healing of the nations. And we said, wow, what does all this mean? And then after one of our meetings, <clears throat> somebody said, you know what? We ought to have somebody draw this. And so one of our vision uh, team writing members went over to the high school and Dean Souter at the high school said, you ought to be talking to Carrie Weaver. And at that time, Carrie was a, a, a junior in high school, a petite little girl, and she joined us for our next vision writing team meeting. And she was sitting there scribbling. We were dwelling in this text, and it didn't seem to me like she was paying much attention. And the next time we met, she came back with this. Next. Now, you've seen this, and it's probably hard for you to capture all the detail on this transparency on this slide, but we looked at this picture and said, wow, I mean, Carrie has the tree on both sides of the river. I wondered how that's going to work, and it's a tree on both sides of the river. Uh, and there's this life and vitality, and there's fruit on the trees, and the fruit of the Spirit, and there's um, the dove, the Holy Spirit, and then there's this throne, and on her original sketch, you can see it very clearly, on the throne is a lamb slain. And, and then, you know, she's got the urban, she's got the rural, she's got the suburban, she's got the Northeast Carter here. We were talking about what God is doing here in the Northeast Carter. And there's baptismal services going on. And, and um, the more we looked at this picture, the more we realized, wow, there is a lot happening here. And, and so uh, that vision right team said, we ought to share this with the Board of Bishops. And I'm not an artistic kind of guy. In fact, I don't appreciate it. I'm too plain to appreciate art much. Um, and so my, th my thought was, share this with the bishop board? Um, but we did. And the bishop says, wow. And then in the course of the next 18 months, we had cluster meetings all across Lancaster Conference seeking the Lord about what the Lord is trying to show us in all of this. And this little picture and the text upon which it was based became the focus for all our conversations about uh, 2020 vision. And I have no question but that the Holy Spirit breathed life into Carrie Weaver's little piece of art. In fact, I should tell you this part of the story yet. Carrie was going through a very uh, spiritual dryness, a time of desert in her life, and struggling with um, what her faith really meant. And then we came and asked her to do this little piece and her mom and dad say, for her, this was a time of spiritual renewal. She told me she just sat down and prayed, and it felt like the Lord just, just 
gave her this picture of how she should do all this. And so for Carrie, it was a spiritual renewal. And I would argue for the church, it's becoming a spiritual renewal. Revelation text, this, this picture of this new life, this new heaven and new earth, uh, and this little piece of art has become the reference point for our work in 2020 vision. It's this image of Jesus on the throne. And quite frankly, this is the image that defines all of theology. James McClendon, a, a theologian from Fuller who was Anabaptist, uh, had Anabaptist leanings, uh, would argue that all of Christian theology starts and ends with this picture of Jesus on the throne. This simple three-word confession, Jesus is Lord, defines all Christian theology. Jesus is Lord. In fact, in his systematic theology, James McClendon begins with the book of last things. He doesn't begin in Genesis and work through systematic theology like most systematic theologians do. James McClendon goes to the book of last things, the book of Revelation, to begin his systematic theology. He begins with eschatology. And he says this picture of the crucified lamb on the throne is the master picture by which we can learn to see all the rest. This, this end brings meaning to the present. This this is that and that is this, this kind of already not yet kingdom, common kingdom of Jesus Christ. I, I like Tom Finger, another Anabaptist theologian, who asked the question, is there any, he says, any material continuity or, or any connection between this new heaven and new earth and present reality? Here at East Justice United Church this morning. Is there any connection between that and this? Or is that so holy spiritual other that it has no connection with what we have here. And so Tom Finger looks at texts like Al just read this morning, uh, this text that says the nations will walk by its light. What does that mean? Or the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into that. What does that mean? The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Tom Finger says that this text from Revelation 21 and 22 suggests at least some material continuity between that and this. And we know from Romans 8, 22, we know that the whole creation is groaning and travail like we groan inwardly waiting for redemption. Creation itself will be liberated and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Tom Finger concludes this broad, beautiful cosmoscape is not so much of people going to heaven as it is of heaven descending, dwelling among and renewing people and their earth. Indeed, the very Godhead descends in this new heaven and this new earth. And so Finger insists, for sure for Anabaptists, this new creation already affects all realms of life. We are called to live by the norms of this new creation now, not hole ourselves up in a cave somewhere with bottled water and food supplies and wait for some platychism again. No, 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 no. We live into this new creation now. Tom Finger says the same divine energy that raised Jesus from the death dwells within us. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to engage in God's mission to restore and renew all things in Jesus Christ. See, this picture is a picture of, of, of God's, God's original created intentions restored. And the beautiful thing about this is we get to participate in God's mission to restore this broken world into its, his, God's original created purposes. 
And, and so God has a dream. This week I was at School for Apostles and Merv Charles, the teacher, and he was, he, he was along these same lines. He said, God has a dream for every square inch of this earth. And God has a dream for God's people to participate in God's purposes for all creation, the cosmos. And we get to participate in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how did all of this shape 2020 vision? We see new life. Well, uh, in the course of these conversations about this text and this picture, we had cluster meetings all across Lancaster Conference. And we came back then in the spring of 2011, in this next slide, Ernie, uh, 2020 vision, we see, new, we see new life. Now, this is not a top-down vision that the bishop were saying, okay, East Chester Street, this is what you've got to do. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to the 170 congregations of the Lancaster Mennonite Conference to follow God into God's mission in the world today. Calling congregations to be attentive to the role of the Holy Spirit in answering this key missional question, to whom is the Holy Spirit sending you? And that can be you individually, but you corporately. And our argument in, in this missional church journey is that every congregation needs to grapple with it. And I'm sure you have here at East Chesapeake Church grapple with that key missional question, to whom is the Holy Spirit sending us? And then be willing to be sent into the mission of God in whatever that means. And in the, in the course of um, the conversations, then, uh, the Lancaster Conference produced this little booklet, 2020 Vision, We See New Life. And you've likely seen this. Ernie, I placed a few copies on the information table but this can be accessed online, and or if you need more copies, the conference office can print those. But we distributed this across the conference in which we outline several ways, four ways, that we suggest congregations might think about how we join in God's mission in the world today. So let's just flip through these. They're outlined in the, in the, in the book here, but let's just flip through these. The first being to enjoy God. Now, enjoy God in transforming worship, the joy of taking God's love to the world. As I say... One of the things I'm enjoying is, is my visits across the conference. And one of the things I'm observing, and I don't know how this relates to you, but for me, I'm being stretched as I worship with West African immigrants in Philadelphia, uh, Ethiopian, the Hispanic churches. Um, a lot of the immigrant racial ethnic congregations have a degree of vibrancy uh, now, we, we, we can enjoy God in our own quiet way, but I have to admit that as a Swiss German, uh, I tend to be very subdued in my worship. This week at School for Apostles, all mostly, predominantly uh, persons of color in that worship service, um, I mean in that, in that conference, and in their worship, I felt sort of like a fish out of water because they, I mean, they, they get into worship. Uh, Joanne and I were at Alleluia Worship Center uh, in, in Philadelphia, and um, this mostly West African immigrants, Nigerian, with connections with MCC. They, when they moved here, they said, we want to, we, we, we remember Mennonites from MCC. They, so, so they're a member, member congregation of Lancaster Conference. And so the worship service was going along, and then when they, when they went to receive their offering, uh, I didn't know what's happening. Everybody started filing out to the side aisles, and we're going, I I looked at Joanne, and then I realized what's happening. They come dancing down the center aisle, with, and then they, you know, deposited their, their offering. So I looked at Joanne, and she looked at me. I said, let's go. So we went back the side aisle and went down through. Now, I wouldn't say I danced, but 
but well, at least they would say I didn't dance, but but I realized I, I left there saying, Wow, these folks enjoy God. And so we're we're suggesting that it's possible and, and I'm not saying we don't enjoy God in our Swiss German congregations. I'm just I'm just saying it's okay to enjoy God and to worship God, joyfully giving witness to what God is doing right doing in our life. This this is this thing of the mission of God is 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 basically enjoying God's restoring, redeeming, renewing work in the world. I I think too many times I have had the picture of of entering into God's mission as an obligatory thing that was dreadful. In fact, for numbers of years at Plainsport United Church, uh, me and a couple other folks would go door to door. We'd knock on doors. Oh, I dreaded that. You know, Sunday Saturday mornings we'd go door to door in the community, and we had. We had this approach to evangelism. It was from uh, um, Glad Tiny School of Evangelism in Florida. Uh, we had a little tablet with a questionnaire. Uh, we're doing a religious survey in the community this morning. Would you be willing to help us by answering a few short questions? Yeah, everybody. Yeah, yes, yes. Thank you. Do you believe there's a God? Yes. Do you believe there's a heaven? Yes. So we check yes. Um, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Yes. <laughs> I, most everybody said yes. Um, and, then, and then the trick question. If you were to die tonight and you get to the pearly gates and St. Peter would ask you, on what basis should I allow you into my heaven, what would you say? And there was always this long pause. And then it was like, well, I'm a good husband or wife and I treat my children well and I work hard and all that. And then, and then that was our, that was where we gotcha. <laughs> Do you realize that you would not get to heaven for those reasons? Now, it, it, it was a dreadful thing. <laughs> That's why I dreaded it. Um, and it wasn't particularly effective. <laughs> and, 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 and rather than some dreadful obligation, what we're suggesting to Lancaster Conference Congregations in this vision is we're simply being invited to enjoy God and joyfully witness to the things God is doing in our life. And people will, people will listen. People will observe. When I worked at Conestoga Wood, there was this guy, George Mabarik. Um, he just so inspired me. Uh, uh, there were a lot of Swiss German in that, in that business. And George Mabarik would come bouncing into the room so full of joy and excitement. And you, you just want to be with George. You want to gather around George. George was a was was a delightful brother in the Lord, and he understood what it means to enjoy God. And I'm not saying you don't or we don't, but it's permission for us to, and an invitation for us to more fully enter into this, this business of enjoying God, the natural joy of sharing our relationship, sharing with others about our relationship with Jesus. The second thing is to encourage others with God's healing and hope. Encourage others with God's healing and hope. Uh, in the places we live and work, in trusting relationships and healing relationships, not some judgmental focus on whether the other person thinks or behaves like me, which is a bad habit we have, but rather extending God's love and grace so healing can emerge, not forcing others to conform to my way of thinking, but to embrace the rich diversity that is in the shalom of Christ. And, and, and br- brothers and sisters, I, I'm sure you know that one of the best ways that we can encourage others is to simply listen, simply listen, reflective listening. It's amazing to me how much we can encourage the other. 
by simply listening, doing reflective listening to what the person has to say. And this is an invitation for us to find ways to encourage others around us. Third way is to equip disciples to fulfill their God-given call for the mission of God. Intentional discipleship in the church. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Noah Kay, who's currently in South Africa. He's going to do a workshop August 3, I think it is. Um, something I commend to you to, to participate because Noah Kay is working on this simple church model. And it's, it's a simple church model in that it focuses almost entirely on discipleship. Um, what, what, what they do when they gather is, is to engage in discipleship. And I think there's something to that because I think in, in many Lancaster Conference congregations, I don't know about East Chester Street, but many Lancaster Conference congregations, the, the, the discipleship track is fairly informal. Yes, there's a new believers class. It might be a 12-week new believers class. And then there's the Sunday school classes and other ways, sermons and other ways that we assume people will be discipled. And it's my suggestion that in the church, particularly here in the West, we are no longer going to get away with haphazard discipleship training. I believe that in our post-Christendom world, that the norms of society are going to move so far away from, that, from, from, from Christian norms that, that following Jesus is going to look so incredibly different than the norms of society, almost like the first century church or maybe the second century church, when in the church we see evidences of catechisms that were three years long. And then they met multiple times a week, often early in the morning for multiple hours, three years long, because what it looked like to follow Jesus in that, in that second century Roman society was so incredibly different than being a Roman citizen. And then one had to give evidence that one was following Jesus as, 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 as Lord in one's life before one could be baptized. And I'm arguing that in post-Christendom West, discipleship is going to have to be much more intentional than what it's been for us in the past. And then fourth, engaging the world with the good news of Jesus as a mission-shaped church. You see, not a church with a missions department. Not a church with a missions department but a church that sees itself as all being engaged in the mission of God. And, and, and here's, here's where I think we need to understand that God has a mission and God has a church to do that mission. And so the whole of, of the, the crux of, of our purpose is to engage in the mission of God, creating new communities of faith across the street and around the world. So, in short... 2020 vision is designed to encourage congregations to ask, what is the Spirit saying to this congregation? And you're in a period of tra pastoral transition, and it's an opportunity for you to, to ask afresh, you know, what is, what is God saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying to this congregation? It's not a plan to adopt. It's essentially an invitation to follow God's call and join in the movement of the Holy Spirit. And being faithful, then, to be sent where the Holy Spirit is sending us. Now, I'd like to... I'd like to move towards closure with some, some focus on this business of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe one of, the, one of the biggest points of the missional church movement that Mennonite Church USA and Lancaster Conference and other conferences have embraced is this idea that the Holy Spirit is sending us into God's mission. And I think we may, in the church, need to have some new conversation about the role of the Holy Spirit. Again, I don't know about this congregation, but I can speak more generally at Lancaster Conference. We have a history in this system of congregations to push 
at arm's length the fresh things of the Spirit. And I have to confess to you this morning that I have in my past um, a history of that behavior as well. Somehow being nervous about and resistant to these new manifestations of the Spirit. And somehow I think we're going to have to have a conversation in our creations about how we make room for the Holy Spirit. Because you can't read through the book of Revelations without bumping into the Spirit. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What does that mean? Uh, The Spirit uh, is speaking and John is listening. And then the Spirit says, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And all through Revelation, there is this repeated reference to the Spirit. I think if there's anything that's clear about the New Testament message, it's this, that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a helper for this work in the mission of God. Now, let's, let's just flip through some of these slides, Ernie. Uh, there, there are four different voices that talk about Jesus as the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. This, this language is so consistent. We won't take time to turn to these, but John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all talk about Jesus being the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you flip to the next slide, Ernie, all four Gospels quote John the Baptist as saying very similar things about Jesus as a baptizer. Uh, Matthew and Mark say about the same thing. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am, no, am, am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and as Matthew adds, with fire. Uh, and then next slide, Luke follows Matthew. John's gospel includes some additional detail, but very recognizable link in this, this language. And all the gospels saying a similar thing, like John 1, John answered them, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, who ranks ahead of me. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Certainly, the context for this announcement is God's invasion into the world in the person of Jesus Christ and God's mission of reconciliation through the one who is coming, the one who was sent, the one who is the Lamb of God. You see, all four Gospels declare in a similar way, what what all four Gospels declare, in a similar way get repeated then in different voices throughout Acts. In Acts 1, Jesus claims to be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, the context of the Gospel spreading from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, just wait in that room until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you can go. In Acts 11, Peter remembers the words of Jesus who claimed the words of John the Baptist in the context of the gospel moving from the Jews to the Gentiles. John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts 19, we hear Paul echo John and Jesus and Peter at Ephesus when he met these 12 disciples who only had John's baptism. He says, well, what baptism did you have? They said John's baptism. And then they, he said, did, did, uh, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? No, we've, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. The baptism of Jesus is not a marginal fringe concept in the New Testament. It's, it's the central message of the New Testament, the unfolding story of what God is up to and, and the core of God's mission in Christ in the world today. And so I'm suggesting we need to at least explore implications of what it means to know Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. 
I would suggest the same way the Apostle Paul knew Jesus as the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, the same way the early Anabaptist leaders understood Jesus as a baptizer of the Holy Spirit. I think we need to grapple with this. For example, look at this. Clearly, the Holy Spirit sent Paul. Here are a list of churches that Paul planted as he was sent by the Holy Spirit. And we can take time to look at each of these, each of these churches. They're listed in that order through the biblical text. Now, where were these churches? Well, this next slide shows the location of these churches, starting with Ephesus and then Smyrna, Pergamon, and goes right around. And so it seems clear that the Holy Spirit had some strategy in how Paul was sent. And Paul says, all of Asia heard the gospel as, as a result of Paul's obedience in being sent by the mission of, uh, into the mission of God. Now, this next slide uh, suggests that the Holy Spirit also sent the early Anabaptist leaders into God's mission. In August of 1527, over 60 Anabaptists from all across Europe gathered in Augsburg, Germany. And there in Augsburg, Germany, they divided Europe among themselves and sent themselves out in pairs all across Europe to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. And as a result, that little Anabaptist movement grew like wildfire all across Europe. Later, this Augsburg meeting became known as the Martyr Synod because within five years, every one of the 33 persons known by name to have attended that conference had been martyred. And thus it became called the Martyr Synod. The point here is that as the Holy Spirit sent Paul, as the Holy Spirit sent those early Anabaptist leaders, we have this growing sense that the Holy Spirit is sending us. Now, what might that mean? This map shows the congregations of Lancaster Conference. You see yourself there? You're right there at the end in Lancaster, somewhere there. But uh, notice these churches, a, a cluster of congregations in New York City. They're in Trenton, cluster of churches in Philadelphia, some in Baltimore, a few, a few in Washington, D.C., Lancaster, Reading, Harrisburg, up into northeast Williamsport and so forth. Um, the question we're asking ourselves in 2020 vision is where might the Holy Spirit be sending us? And this next slide shows the population centers of the Northeast Card from Boston to Richmond. It's an amazing concentration of humanity, Boston to Richmond. 50 million people plus in this Northeast Card are many of whom do not know Jesus Christ as, as, as Lord. And so I have no doubt that Lancaster Conference congregations scattered right through this Northeast Carter have an amazing opportunity to impact the world. Why did I say the world? Because into this Northeast Carter, next slide, Ernie, into this Northeast Carter in Boston, amazing humanity in New York City. We got churches, congregations in New York City, masses of humanity, Philadelphia, uh, what's next? Baltimore. My son lives in Baltimore right now. And why well, I don't like that picture of Washington. But anyway, uh, these, these urban centers are filled with humanity. And guess what? The nations of the world have come to our backyard. Next slide. Look at this diversity, the ri this rich diversity. Um, Rolando Santiago from Mennonite Historical Society is doing a study right now. And he was telling me out at Phoenix that a full third of Lancaster Conference congregations are now congregations of color. I said, Rolando, are you sure? Yep. yep. Now, I, I shouldn't be quoting it publicly because I, I want to do a little more work on that. But 
But it's true. The nations of the world have come to our backyard. And we get this amazing, amazing privilege to partner with them, not only here in this Northeast Corridor, but then to their home countries, be it Vietnam or Indonesia, wherever they go back to with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My argument is that, that, that the nations of the world have come right here to our backyard and we are being invited by the Holy Spirit to, to take the gospel, not just as the Northeast Corridor, but then in turn to the world. Because God's heart indeed is for the healing of the nations. And so the question is, what will our response be? Will we be sent ones? And when I say sent, I don't mean, I don't mean that you have to sell your home and move to some distant corner of the world. For some, yes. But this idea of being sent is this, is this awareness that we are all, as followers of Christ, we are all sent ones. Every one of us are sent ones. We're all missionaries sent into the mission of God. And the question is, to whom are you being sent? And, and it, 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 again, can't be something we do on our own flesh, our own strength. It would be a huge failure. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling within us is sending us into God's mission to restore and redeem and renew all things in Christ. What an amazing privilege is ours to participate in that. And so what will our response be? Will we be sent? And, of course, 2020 vision is simply an invitation to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Me personally, to us as a congregation, to us as a fellowship congregation, and then then in obedience to go. Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for this powerful picture, a beautiful picture and powerful message that you left with us in your holy word um, through this little book in Revelation, this, this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this picture that it holds up to us of this new heaven and this new earth, this, this reality to which all human history is headed. And Lord, we thank you that in Christ we get the privilege to participate with you in that mission to redeem and restore and renew all things on earth, things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, the cosmos. In Christ, Lord, we know that you are bringing all things together under Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give each of us as, as individuals and as congregations uh, a renewed sensitivity to the voice of your Holy Spirit so that we can have greater clarity in the answer to the question, to whom are we being sent? I pray that, Lord, for East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. I pray that, Lord, for all the congregations of Lancaster Conference. I pray that for Mennonite Church USA, for Mennonite World Conference, for all your church, Lord, across the globe, as we respond in faithfulness and in participation to your mission to renew all things in Christ. I pray this with thanksgiving in the name of Christ. Amen.